Hi, all. I'm Kale. And I'm Kate. Welcome to Horrorwood. <laughs> I got all confused for a minute. It has been a while, but you're <laughs> back. Kale is Yay. back from her break. Welcome back. We missed Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I missed I missed everybody here. Aw. <laughs> all, all two of us. <laughs> and that's including you. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also want to shout out our newest Patreon subscriber, Aaron Myover. <laughs> Thanks for subscribing, Erin Myover. Um, We love you. You're amazing. And we hope you're loving all the bonus content. And if you all out there want to join Patreon, you can jump on over to patreon.com slash horrorwoodpodcast. And this is your episode today. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of a different take on things. I have no idea what you're doing and I'm kind of nervous. I know you said that and I was like, don't be nervous. It's just a different take. And I kind of want to be able to do a little bit more maybe with this and like kind of like, hmm, is it this or is it that? Was it that? Okay. But you'll, yeah, you'll, you'll get, you'll get it. Okay. So one, I do want to make sure that our listeners are supported and cared for. I work with students that um, have an eligibility in their educational plan of emotional disturbance. Mm-hmm. And with that, that it just puts a whole new um, outlook on perspective and making sure that people, um, it's a people first thing, right? And kind of experiences and what somebody's gone through in trauma. So I want to make sure that everybody who's listening out here is cared for, supported, and I will be marking this episode as a possible trigger warning Okay, for anyone who feels the topic of drugs, overdoses, and addictions might bring up some kind of emotional trauma and that it could, you know, it's going to tie into the use of drugs and how they affect others or maybe even your own personal experience. So I am putting that out there on this episode. Okay. Just to make sure everybody feels that they have had a chance to know what the episode might be about and that they have a chance to decide whether or not that they can go on with it and that they're supported here in our space, in our community. Great. I love that. And Kate, I'm going to go a little with you now um, because uh, here's an invasive and vulnerable and maybe, maybe to some embarrassing question. Oh, okay. Um, again, if I ask you these things, you can like plead the fifth or you can say no thank you or you can say like simple or you can kind of, you know, go into a, maybe a more of a conversation about it. But have you okay. ever done or experienced drugs? I've smoked weed. Okay. I was going to, the next question was, are you willing to tell us like what ones? So, oh, okay. weed. <laughs> um, but I'm also pretty basic and that's all I've actually done. Okay. And then why did you, like, why did you try it? I was in college and that's, that was the thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually dating a guy who. Wait, do I know this one? I think we are. Oh, of course. I think I know. (laughs) Who um, got me into it. So, Uh uh, yeah, but, but I will also say that I am one of those who gets paranoid Mm-hmm. If I smoke, I mean, mm-hmm. I haven't done it in years because, you know, some people it relaxes them. For me, it would make me really paranoid. And I just, right. I also just didn't like feel, I just didn't feel like anything exciting from it. And right. it just didn't seem worth it to me. But I don't think that there is anything wrong with it. Mm-hmm. So you, do you, so you, tr- you tried it in college. Was it like in a, was it in like a dorm or a apartment or a house? It was in an apartment. It was okay. in an apartment. And we're others a big around. group of people. Yeah. There's okay. Tons of people. There we go. Yeah. And it made you feel paranoid, right? Not that particular time, but because that was the first time. So it was all kind of exciting. And I was dating this new guy and I really mm-hmm. liked him. And 
So all of it was exciting. We left that party and we were hanging out and it, every just everything felt fun. Okay. Do you know anyone on a personal level who has had difficulty in the type of drug culture that is commonly present in our society? I guess to an extent, yeah. And how has that affected like that person and 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 seeing like that particular path? The person I'm thinking of was in a really dark place. And I think that's why they turned to drugs and they were mm-hmm. doing a lot of different things. And they ended up in the hospital and almost died. And I think that was the turning point for them. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, they, you know, they did get away from that and kind of turn things around. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know it's it's hard sometimes to talk about topics that come to us at more of a personal level or if we know someone or if we've experienced it ourselves. And I just wanted to thank you for sharing that space. I think it's really important to talk about this. And I, and I hope that, again, like our listeners feel supported and, and maybe they need to talk to somebody. We're always open to talk to anyone. And yeah, that's how I'm going to um, start this episode. Okay. Mary Anissa Jones was born March 11th, 1958 in Lafayette, Indiana. So the old Midwest. We are very familiar, aren't we, Kate? I drive through Lafayette every time I go see my family. Oh, to Kentucky. It's actually my, yeah, it's actually my first pit stop because there's a Steak and Shake there and I always go to Steak and Shake and there's a Starbucks and it's a specific exit. (laughs) So I I know it well. Oh my gosh. I only know it because of of the university there. So like, I don't really know Mm -hmm. it that well, but that's funny that it's kind of like a, yeah, like a place that you are familiar with. Um, So Anissa is is what they called her. Okay. She was adorable. Have you ever heard of her? No. Okay. She looks like a cross between kind of like Shirley Temple and Drew Barrymore as a little girl. Okay. So just kind of get that image with freckles, like blonde hair, freckles, okay. and kind of like the little piglets or pig pigtails um, in her mm-hmm. hair, right? Super, super cute. Oh, okay. I just looked her up. Yeah. Oh, cutie. So, so did, okay. Yeah. Isn't she so cute? Like she's just kind of got this little doll face, right? Yeah. But do, but do you see the resemblance between like, like to me, she kind of reminded me of Shirley Temple, but Drew Barrymore a little bit? I could see that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Her father, John Paul, worked for Purdue University in engineering department. Purdue is very well known as like an engineering school. Okay. And her mother, Paula, was a zoology student. They moved from Indiana and then she was raised um, for the first few years of her life in West Virginia until about age five or so. Okay. And then shortly after, her brother, John Paul II, who the family called Paul, was born. And once he was born, then the family moved to Playa del Rey, California because her father took a job in aerospace engineering and then he enrolled mm. his daughter Anissa at Paseo del Rey Elementary School. Okay. And then later she attended the um, Orville Wright Junior High School. So I'm thinking this area is like must be very I I was thinking of my main man Arshol. Oh, may he rest. You love um, the, you love the show. I re- I really do. Well, I, I love his wife. His wife, um, but because it's like aerospace and the the junior high, I wanted to put this in was Orville Wright. You know mm-hmm. the Wright brothers. Anyway, I plugged that in, which doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but I just needed to everybody <laughs> to know. During her school years, she began her acting career um, and acted in like commercials. She started around age six. I think her mom had put her in like dance at like four. You know you know how you do as a dance mom, like around four. Um, And because she was particularly small for her age, Anissa landed the role of Ava Elizabeth Patterson Davis, a.k.a. Buffy on the CBS sitcom Family Affair. Have you heard of Family Affair? Because I feel like I felt like I'd heard of it. I just I've never seen it. But I feel like our parents maybe have seen it or, uh, you know. I mean, yeah, it was before our time, but I've definitely heard of it. You've heard of it. So Mm -hmm. this this, um, show, Family Affair, ran from 1966 to 1971. And Family Affair was about two twins and a sister. So there was two twins. It was a a boy and a girl and um, Mm -hmm. their sister who were orphans. So what happened in the show, again, it's a sitcom, but what happened was their, um, they lost their parents in a car accident in Indiana, which I thought was interesting because like she was born in Lafayette, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then she landed this role. The children then in this show moved into their Uncle Bill's bachelor pad in New York City. So he's like, I think on the Upper East Side or Upper West Side. Um, You know, again, I haven't seen the show, but I read a little bit about it. And he's got like this bachelor, like super, he's doing super well. He's got some money. He has like um, a valet, like a butler who is kind of like his right hand man. One of the websites I read was like called him a manservant. I was like, uh, I don't know if I want to use that. Oh, uh huh. <laughs> but okay. You yeah, know, it's a weird so term. I hate it. It but is yeah. very weird. So, um, and basically, this uncle was forced to learn how to raise these three children because he inherited them. Okay. But not without mm-hmm. the help of his butler, like his little right hand man, who developed a deep sense of family ties to the kids as well. So, like, clearly, it's a show that like shows that, you know, you just, you buck up and and do what's best for you know your family when something tragic happens. Sure, it is sitcom, so it's probably showing that more of uh, that dynamic of like this bachelor trying to raise these three kids. You know, the right. circumstances horrific, but clearly they 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 find some way to like make it family and wholesome. But Anissa, who played one of the twins, um, Buffy, that was the name, like that was her nickname there. She charmed Mm -hmm. audiences and won over hearts. And Mm -hmm. eventually um, there was a doll that she like always carried around on the show. They called her like Mrs. Beazel or something. (laughs) (laughs) The next pet I get is going to be named Mrs. Beazel. Mrs. Beasley or something. Okay. Yeah, Mrs. Beasley. And so, okay, we, we have got we have got to post a picture of this because when you see this doll, it's kind of creepy looking, to be honest. Um, <laughs> okay. And like, and like, there's, maybe this is the picture we can actually post, but there's a picture of Anissa and she has like no front teeth as you would as like a, you know, six-year-old or oh. whatever. And then she's holding sure. this doll with these glasses that are like old, wearing this like polka dot dress, like kind of nanny-ish, I guess. And like, okay, <laughs> like, I think if I had it in my room, I might be a little scared of it, but okay. Meta- okay, I gotta see if but, I can find this doll. Oh my gosh. You have to see it. Do we need to pause so you can see it? Because like, no, I can look it up. Okay. 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 Oh, but I think she's cute. I know. I, I know. And like, oh, this little girl, she's so cute. Little Buffy, um, you know, Anissa that played this character. So cute. And she's like holding it and everything. Later, I did read that like when she was 13 or 12 or 13 and she was still filming like the last season, she was kind of over like holding this doll or whatever. <laughs> I would imagine. But um, it led Mattel early, early. Yeah. Early in the Family Affair show to make a doll after mm-hmm. um First, they did the like Mrs. Beasley Beasley character, and then they started making dolls after the Buffy character. That's cool. When you were a little girl, didn't you kind of want a doll made after you? I guess I never thought about no? it. Okay, I was a, I did. I was a Cabbage Patch girl, and I never thought outside of that. Okay, I was an all doll girl, like Barbies. Um, mm, I, yeah, I wasn't into Barbies. Um, the American Girl dolls. They kind of came later in my life. I was going to say they weren't like right. around when I was. But there kid. was one named Kaylee. And of course, my mom got it for me because I had wanted one for so long and they were so Aww. expensive. Anyway, this little girl like liked it at first. But then I think like later on, she was like, OK, I'm too old for this now. She Which was I like, get, I have my I, period now, folks. I don't need to carry a doll. Right. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. Like, I get it because there was a time in my life. I'm like, and I'm over dolls. Like, ugh, OK. So like I said, this um, show ran till ni- until 1971. Anissa also made a film appearance. It was her only one, and it was called In the Trouble with Girls, and it was in 1969. This small role allowed her to star next to Elvis Presley. He was the headliner oh, in this movie. I've heard of him. <laughs> in 1971, Anissa's recurring role in Family Affair came to an end when the series ended. So she was around 12, 13. Okay. Um, and then before that, Anissa had, oh my gosh, this story is so sweet. Before it came to a close, like I think there was a lot of articles that talked about how she had kind of like a little kind heart, like as a little girl, mm-hmm. um, because she had her little brother, right? And he, because he was so little, they took him a lot on like the set and they had to because, you know, they were both underage. Right. Yeah. Um, and so anytime she got a lot of gifts and everything because she was a beloved character. So anytime that she got a gift, she wanted to make sure her brother got a gift too. Oh, that's nice. 
And I just thought that was so sweet as like this older sister, like taking care of her little brother. And they're both young, right? They're both like young kids. And they like, I just thought that was such a love. And then at one point, she like asked her mom to put money down to take out an ad to say goodbye in Variety magazine when there was a, there was a janitor that worked for the family affair set. His name was Earl Graham and he, he died. And, and Mm -hmm. Anissa was like, had this little tie to him. And so she asked her mom to take out an ad because she wanted to like publicly say goodbye to him and acknowledge him. Oh, that's really sweet. Especially like for, to be that young and like have that maturity. Exactly. And that's what that shows that kind of like kindness personality of, of Mm -hmm. her. She's still wanting to kind of be in this film industry, right? She's in California. Um, She's had some success. She leads kind of with a kind heart. And I think there was a point where I, she's trying to break out because now she's getting older, right? Yeah. And at this point, she still wanted to be doing some, some film work. I think she really wanted to get in the movies at this point. Mm -hmm. But can you imagine an adorable kid like this little Buffy auditioning for The Exorcist? Yeah, I can actually. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's (laughs) I mean, I, I can in a way because I was thinking poltergeist this whole time, like, you know, and like that little girl was so adorable. But I think the thing is, is like, it's hard to break out of those roles, like the typecast type of thing. Oh, yeah. Especially when you start out as a kid. Yes. That's really tough. And that can be a demise for a lot of child actors. Mm -hmm. Like, think about Kevin. Kevin! It was very hard for Macaulay Culkin to get out of that. I mean, it's still an iconic movie to this day. Sure. Yeah. And you think about the Disney kids and Nickelodeon kids, that kind of thing. I mean, look at Miley Cyrus. It took her. She had a really hard time transitioning and just to become, you know, an adult and to to be like, hey, everybody, I'm not Hannah Montana. Like I am. Right. I'm a woman. I'm moving on with my life. It's hard. Just to to develop like because I think that we do. And I even I'm guilty of it. Sometimes I'm like, I can't see it any other way because I'm so like attuned and like um and immersed in the in the character mm-hmm. and then I'm like oh wait they're a real human you know like right it's, that part's just a character but I think that's the the issue of when she auditioned for the exorcist because it was hard for people to imagine her as something other than Buffy and sure. the director couldn't either his imagination just like could not take Anissa as a character possessed by a demon, basically. Uh, okay. Um, I mean, honestly, like I I would think that'd be a great casting choice because you don't you expect know, it. But anyway, that's just and, me. and I like that versatility in you. Like you you see beyond. And I think that's kind of where our mindsets have to go sometimes, but it they don't always, right? And sure. that people can be miscast, you know. Um, I mean the Exorcist also is an iconic movie, so I guess it was cast exactly how it needed to be. But <laughs> after after this, Anissa um, started like kind of turning down some other roles and um, that were maybe offered to her that maybe she didn't feel were a fit for her, and thus started her demise of the acting career. Mm. And how old is she at this point? In her teens, like early teens. Okay. Yeah. Now, Kathy Garver, she was the sister in Family Affair, you know, Mm -hmm. so there was a twin boy and girl. She was, uh, Mm -hmm. and then this was the sister. And she said this in an interview at, at, at this point when her, when, um, Anissa's acting career was kind of taking a turn. Okay. She said she was done. She had quit show business. She bonded with local teenage friends and started to have the freedom that had been denied her over the five years she was on the TV show Family Affair. Unfortunately, Garver noticed many of Jones's new friends were drug users. And the next five oh, years no. saw Anissa Jones in the midst of a downward spiral. Spiral. Oh, I think when you're an actor and then and then you're you've played um, with other child actors, when they start seeing this, it's 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 hard for them because they see your potential, right? You've worked with them, right? And I think that's she was like, yeah, it's. You know, and it's true because think about being a child actor. You are deprived a little bit of your like childhood, like ordinary things that you I might mean, do. yeah, that's not a, a quote unquote normal upbringing by any right. stretch. Right. To also at that young of an age be working. Right. Because at the end of the day, you're actually working. Yeah. You're, yeah. You have a job. 
And you're, you know, how old? <sighs> six when she started? Yeah. Yeah. Well, even, yeah, around six. Yeah. Because that's when she started, like, breaking into the commercials oh, and whatnot. Okay. Um, yeah. And the the thing is, I was going to say that um, we've covered a few episodes of young people starting out. Mm-hmm. And kind of what happens later in their lives. And, uh, you know, it's like because maybe because they don't feel like they have had a sense of childhood or right. maybe they just feel like deprived of something. But, yeah, it's interesting to note that. And I know that, um, well, I compared um, the looks of Anissa Jones um, after Drew Barrymore. And I know that she hasn't had it easy. And she she's very vul- verbal, excuse me, verbal and forthcoming about, you know, her own experiences. Right. So I was thinking a lot about like that and like what you're exposed to at such a young age because you're around adults all the time. What was Anise's relationship with her parents like? Oh, we're going to get into that right now. Oh, excellent. Because as soon as you mentioned Drew Barrymore, I was like, oh, well, she had some parental stuff. Uh-huh. It, it was interesting because I really was like, I think it's because she, to me, looked like her. And then I started thinking about her a lot. I started thinking about Drew Barrymore a lot in this, um, in like researching this. Okay. So after moving to California, uh, Nisa's parents did get divorced. Ah, okay. And they fought over custody of the two children. Her father won custody of both kids. Okay. And I don't know in California, but I know, I know, for instance, in Illinois, usually like they always, regardless of what's happened, I feel like they always award custody to, um, the, the mother. I would say it typically usually goes to the mother. In favor. Yeah. Yep. I only know that because I know a lot of people, obviously, in Illinois, and and that's kind of been the, the story, we'll say. Which tells me that the mother in this situation must have exhibited some behavior that would cause the court to go the other way. And we're not going to go into that because I just don't know the facts with that. Okay. So there's like some speculation. Yes. And I don't want to put out assumptions, to be honest. Um, I'll, I will say some things that sounded like from Anissa's perspective, but I, yeah, I, I don't know okay. what kind of, if there was tumultuous behaviors, if there was like, but it sounds like that there was definitely a fight over custody. And it also sounds like, there was some unfortunate like maybe events or there was there was not necessarily a good relationship, especially with Anissa and her mom. Mm. However, uh, Anissa's father passed in 1973. Oh, wow. So that's just two years after family affair, yeah, after family affair um, had ended. I think he died of a heart condition or something. Uh. And thus she struggled and went down a very different path than that of her acting character. Where did she go after her dad died? Did she move in with her mom? So um, then how fast things can turn, they did for Anissa Jones. Anissa's relationship with her mother deteriorated through the years. She spent a lot of time with friends um, during this time and also would stay at friends' house rather than her own mother's. Ah, okay. So that kind of gives you, you know, that's why I was saying I made assumptions uh, maybe I don't want them to be unfair and so because I don't know the whole story of this, but mm-hmm. I I have speculation and, and perspective of just, you know, other things that I know about um when these kind of things happen, but also I don't want to tell a story that's not mine when right. it comes to this, right? She attended uh, Westchester High School in LA, but her grades were less than ideal. And mm. of course, that generally makes no mother happy, regardless of the kind of relationship you have with a mom, right? I mean, sure. At this point in time, Anissa, so her, I'm not sure what led her to do this, but she she ran away from home. Mm, okay. And it might have been a slew of things. And her mom um, listed her as a runaway. So contacted like authority and listed her as a runaway. And I don't know what led to that exactly besides like, I don't think the really, I think the relationship was rocky. I don't think it was good. I think Mm -hmm. um, she was kind of going down a certain path. I think she was probably doing some um, trial and error or some um, rebelness or or what, whatever you do as your teenage years. Sure. Um, And then she was arrested for shoplifting. Oh, Ooh, that's that's escalating a little bit. Uh-huh. Oh, that we're about to escalate a lot. Um, oh, she no. spent months in juvenile detention. Oh, wow. What did she shoplift? Or did it oh, say? That's a great question. I mean, months in juvenile detention. That's a long time. I didn't see it on the things I read, but okay. maybe there. It, maybe it's out there. Maybe it was like more than one shoplifting 
incident? Yeah. Ex- I mean, and that could that that could be because remember she was listed as a runaway, so she might have been consistently doing that to be able to mm. like get be by. out of mom's house. Yeah. yeah, and get by. So, you know, at this point, maybe we're thinking, okay, that stint could get her back on track. And I think even she was perhaps, perhaps I was going to say possibly in the, the perhapsibly. Um, <laughs> it was perhapsibly the chance she needed. Perhapsibly, exactly. And I think that even she felt that or believed that. But once again, after she was relieved, she kind of went down this kind of dark path a mm. little bit. But she did move back in with her mother. Okay. And as we know that already, that's probably not a great option for her. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it sounds like the relationship was rocky at best. Um, and she started working at a donut shop named Winchell's. Oh, I feel like I've heard of that. Oh, really? Because I don't think it's called that anymore, but maybe it was like famous. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it was. Okay. okay. So one interesting emotion to note, though, is while working at this donut shop, she was often embarrassed when people recognized her from Family Affair. And that made me really sad. That statement like really made me like really compassionate for her because I can't imagine being a child actor. Oh, because she was embarrassed that she was working in a donut shop? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I then and that. then like when and then people recognize her and then she's probably like, oh, here I am working at this donut shop when I used to be like on television. Right. Right. And it kind of makes me, you know, it like it gives it gives that sort of empathy, right? Yeah. That like she had kind of this little path bender, we'll call it, where, you know, she ran run away from home. She shoplifts. She gets caught. She's in juvenile detention. She, maybe she thinks she's going to get her life back on track. She was in with her mom. Maybe it was tumultuous again or or just what we assume could be. And I'll just say, honestly, that behavior, I mean, yes, while it's troublesome, I mean, we've all done shit, especially when we're like uh, yes, teenagers, you know, that like, age. Yep. And I mean, it's not I too alarming. It, yeah, it's alarming, I mean, but not too alarming. I just think about some of the shit I did, and right. I mean, thank God social media wasn't around then, because <gasps> exactly. I always think about that, Kate. I mean, I like, do feel like, for ugh. this gen, like the generation coming up, because yeah. Number one, for sure, everything online is forever. And I tell my nieces that all the time. I say everything you put online is forever. Forever. So be careful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's uh, that that's a whole other side topic. But yeah. No, it's but it's good to put out there. It's good to talk about and discuss. So I for her sake, I'm glad that that didn't exist, to be honest, right. to preserve the really hard work she did as a child actor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just unfortunate that other things, you know, arise, but it, it's, it's gotta be hard to, yeah. to go, to go through this and to know that like there's family issues and, right. you know, sometimes it's just hard. And what we learned from Jonathan Brand is like, it's hard to kind of go into that next sector of like adults film and you know working in that kind of industry because sometimes if you don't have a certain look or you don't speak a certain way or you're not taken seriously especially it when it all just come crumbling down if you're a young cute quote unquote cute kid that and that's what you're you're marketed as no one's is for. like yes. the the yeah. cute kid mm-hmm. it's really hard to get out of that and once you grow out of that cute stage and maybe you're going through your adolescence and that, you know things are changing and it's a that's a hard time for anyone, especially a female. I can totally feel her pain of. Absolutely. She was famous. She was on a hit show. She mm-hmm. was the cute kid. And now she's working in a donut shop. Nothing wrong with working right. in a donut shop. She's got a job. She's making money. And yep. it's just like a little pause in her acting career. Doesn't mean it's over, but. Yeah, I I can see how yeah. that would really affect a, a, a young girl's self-esteem. Absolutely. And then on top of that, she wanted to avoid home life. I yeah. mean, it wasn't Oof. necessarily like ideal for her or like a place of comfort. Mm-hmm. And so she took to the beach, right? Oh, hey, yeah. I, I mean, I'm all for taking to the beach in the tub, right? Okay. And, um, you know, the mountains. Like, you give me those three places and I'm pretty <laughs> content. But... At her beach, she's tempted by drinking and drug use. Mm. And as it sometimes does to a person of young age in unfortunate circumstances, her life was spiraling out of control. Um, a lot of the articles I read literally used the word spiraling out of control. Oh, no. 
Yeah. In 1976, Anissa turned 18. And like most child actors, she comes into her financial independence, gaining that control Mm -hmm. of the savings that she earned while working on the show, um, Family Affair, and other money that was in the trust. Mm -hmm. The amount of funds was like more than about 280,000, which looks more than a million today. Yeah, that's a lot. Right. Especially then. And like, so think about being an 18-year-old your brain isn't completely developed mm-hmm. at that point, right? And so, you know, you might be making decisions or choices that exactly. could be questionable at that age. And then you're given a million dollars? Shit. Basically, yeah, 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 <laughs> right? And I, I'm like trying to think of it like, oh my gosh, if I was 18 and had a million dollars. I would have bought a car. Yep, I would have bought a car. Bought a car. I would have bought a lot of good clothes. Yep. I wouldn't have um, invested into my education, even though now in hindsight, I'd be like, oh my God, put it towards your college, put it towards your college because it's a lot of debt that you occur, that you, you know, mm-hmm. incur with. I mean, I probably would have paid for college because my mom would have made me. Oh, right. Right. But, but I, her, but who knows what her mom is like. Exactly. Having her do. It doesn't sound like there's a lot of guidance. I think once she turned 18, she was like freedom. Yeah. yeah. She's like done. And once she received these royalties, her and her brother, Paul, moved into an apartment together. And it sounds like okay. they were really close. Oh, good. Okay. Um, you know, they kind of had each other, right? Yeah. Did Paul have trouble with the mom? I didn't read a lot about that. It just, uh, to me, again, I'm thinking if they moved in together and he's about 16, I think he's a couple years younger than her, a okay. few years younger than her, maybe even younger. It made me think, yeah, it's it, it was best for them to get out of this like atmosphere, okay. environment. I don't know. She spent pretty frivolously. She bought herself a Ford Pinto, which I kind of giggled a little bit, but it was like, it was, you know, it was new. And I love that for her. I do too. But the, then I always think of the um, the line in Speed that's like, I drive a Pinto. <laughs> it makes me giggle. Do you remember that, Sandra Bullock? I mean, I remember the movie, obviously. Okay. But, but she was driving the big bus or whatever, and she's like, I drive a Pinto. I don't know. So and she also bought her brother a Camaro. Oh, shit. That cost twice the amount of her brand new car. So Camaro yeah. was my dream car when I was a kid. I don't know why. Really? Yeah. Mine was like an Austin Healey or something. I mean, it didn't work out for me, but. I did have the Austin Healey, like, because that's what my, um like high school ex-boyfriend's dad. They like, they renovated that car. What do you call it when you like redo a car? Like, uh, renovated sounds good. Yeah. I got to, um, sit on it for like homecoming or whatever. Mm. So I really love that car. However, my dream car was from none other than the great outdoors and it's a Jeep Wagoneer and still is kind of my dream car to be honest. I like that for you. So she buys in this car and it showed also like her generosity for others. So she did other things with her money, like with her friends. I'm sure she bought them drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and however, within a few months of this time frame. Her lifeless body was found unresponsive <gasps> at a friend's home. Oh, Again, shit. Again, she was 18 years old. Oh, my God. That took a turn really fast. I was not prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I kind of felt like that when I was, like, reading about her. I was just like, oh, God, this is, like, this is happening very fast. Yeah. Anissa's access to money mm. would not set her free from the temptations of drugs and partying at her age. In her late teen years, she dated a dude named Alan Coven, who certainly did not help her clean up her act, but instead took her down an even darker drug escalation path. Oh, no. Here's where thoughts come in. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll bring them up in a little bit, actually. Okay. I'm going to give you some thoughts in, in a little bit. Okay. Um, Anissa was like a pharmacy in her intake of drugs. Mm. She was trying out the obvious alcohol and marijuana. Sure. We talked about marijuana earlier in this episode. And um, as, as one may have done in the 70s. Uh, yeah, I keep forgetting that this was the 70s. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But also experimenting with cocaine, mm-hmm. barbiturates, angel dust, quaaludes. Oh, geez. On or around uh, – or on or around. It was in August of 1976. She attended a party with her partying boyfriend, Alan Coven. Okay. They were in Oceanside, California. Mm-hmm. And others were partying around them. And the the ranges of ages were 12 to 22, as police later determined. Oh, my. 12 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I kept thinking that, too. I was like, 12. 12. Oh, geez. Oof, 12. A 12-year-old has no business partying with a 22-year-old and vice versa. 
Um, uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> yeah. Now, remember, she turned 18 in March of this year, 1976. Okay. Um, this is August. Okay. This is where the party is in August. Anissa was found dead on August 28th, sometime before noon. Ooh. Now, this is what I find severely odd. She was found in an upstairs bedroom of a house in Littler Lane belonging to the uh, father of a 14-year-old friend named Helen Hennessy. Okay. Wait, is this where the party was? Well, that's that was, again, an assumption I had because it was con- kind of confusing because they talked about in one article it said that she was partying the, the night of August 28th, but she was found the, the, around noon, the August 28th. Mm, okay. So there's kind of like some discrepancy in some of the, um, the research that I did. That or I wonder if the party was like the night before that spilled over onto the 28th. Oh, that's what I was wondering too. I was like, okay, if she was found like kind of maybe mid morning mm-hmm. or something and she was staying at somebody's house. Yeah. Like if they partied all night. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, but, but I just was like, oh my God, this girl was 14 years old. Mm. And she's got an 18-year-old staying there. And maybe maybe they're kind of like, you know, again, I think of the industry and I think of like what you're exposed to. And like right. maybe the father was actually friends or like an, a producer or whatever. I have no yeah. idea, right? It was said that after finding her, friends put clothes on her and then the paramedics were called. I have a big question mark on that because what? I have many questions about that. Was she naked? That's my biggest question. I was like, wait a minute. Was she naked? Because allegedly her boyfriend had checked on her in the wee hours of the night and she was fine. So did they like have sex? Was she naked? Did he leave her naked? Was there some sort of interesting foul play? I, I hope mean, that not, that doesn't come up later, but. Oh, I, cause I was going to say, I hope that you tell me that he was questioned because I need to know more about this Alan boyfriend. There was, okay. And I had this in quotes because I wanted to make sure I got it right. A small vial of blue liquid next to Jones at the scene, which was never identified. Why wasn't it identified? Uh-huh. Initially, the death was listed as a drug overdose, but later ruled accidental. Um, this is also quotes because I want to make sure I I got it right. The coroner who examined Jones reported she died from one of the most severe drug overdoses he had ever seen. Oh, shit. Cocaine, PCP, Quaalude, and the Secanol were found in these in the, tech, in the toxicology report. Oof. So this is why I said I want to talk about this a little bit later, and I'm going to this thing I was about to bring up mm-hmm. earlier in this episode. But I do want to say that she was cremated in Redondo Beach, and then five days later on September 1st, 1976, her ashes were scattered over the Pacific Ocean. Mm. So, I again, I can't imagine being her friends, finding finding her body. Yeah. And then having to put clothes on her. And why? I mean, maybe that was like a, um, a courtesy move. Um, They didn't want her, you know, to be unclothed. But also, like, people don't ever touch a body that's dead that you find. Just don't, like, fuck up the scene. FYI. That's the other thing that felt very shifty shady. I I was like, wait. Okay, so the boyfriend checked on her in the wee hours and said she was fine. The friends are putting clothes on her. Again, there was partying with 12 to 22-year-old. She's in this guys uh this father's house who knows if the father's there there's a 14 year old friend like they named it a 14 year old friend so she is 18 and friends with 14 now i get that because it's only four years difference still when you're that young though that is a big difference agreed because 18 is a legal adult yeah 14 is not there was were just a lot of questions that i had Mm -hmm. there's another like issue and that issue is of a doctor Tell me about this doctor. This doctor's name is Don Carlos Moshos. Okay. Moshos or Moshos. Um, And he had a lot of patterns of people coming in and getting um, certain medication. Like people waiting outside of his practice, hoping they could get certain things, writing over 100 prescriptions a day. Shit. Uh Uh-huh. And what what kind of stuff was he prescribing? Second all. Well, I don't know all the things, but I know he prescribed second all to Anissa Jones. And I'm sure other things. Can you tell me what second all is? Because I have have no idea. 
Is it like a sleeping pill? It's it's known to, as the class of drugs known as a barbiturate hypnotic. So it's used to kind of help you calm before like surgery or like, um, like um, yeah, it's a barbiturate. Okay. It's, it could be used for what, treating insomnia or keeping asleep because it's, it's relaxing you. It's calming okay. you. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. So that's what it is. Now, again, he might have only prescribed this to her, but she had all that other stuff. Remember the, right. what the coroner said? And there was a criminal investigation of him, Dr. Moshos. Okay. He was arrested. He was arrested in, is it, I think, like Torrance, okay. California? Do you know where that is? Yeah. It's like, it's like Southern Cal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because there was so many people that kept like waiting for him for hours. Yeah, that's what because kind of raised some suspicion. Oh, completely. And, and, and again, these are, these are, actual like drugs like pharmaceutical drugs that are like you know right and because of that drug um that was found in Anissa's tax toxicology report the second arm and the amount and because of the um prescription um Moshe's was uh charged with 11 offenses oh however he died before uh, while he was waiting for his trial and it was four months after Anissa Jones died do we know how he died? Because that feels suspicious. Actually, n- no. I wonder if I can. Sorry. I, I wish. See, sometimes I'm like, I wish I knew these questions beforehand. He was 66 when he died and he possibly had heart problems. Oh, he possibly might have had terminal hepatitis. Um, mm. But then some people said maybe it's leukemia. Maybe he knew he was going to be dying. And so he just like. Whoa. Yeah, there's a lot. Now I'm on like a whole thread of people like having speculations and like their own thought con- um, process of it. Okay. And the murder charges for him were dropped, but his conditions worsened. And then, like I said, he died just a few months in December after she died. Okay. Boy, that's that's some fucked up karma right there. Mm. So he made a small fortune, though. I mean, imagine. Well, You're yeah. doing that and like you're making the cost really low for these people, but you have hundreds of people in line. That's so crazy. That's really sketchy. So then, so, so here's where some of my thoughts come in. I know that this was an overdose. Okay. Um, the coroner said that from the toxicology, it was later ruled as accidental. However, there's just some things that happened. Like how liable is her boyfriend? Did he give her the drugs? Uh, some of the drugs did, did Dr. Mo is Dr. Moshos. Like, it makes me wonder, like, I know that those murder um, charges were dropped against Dr. Moshos, but I don't know. I Obviously, we know that she did drugs recreationally, but mm-hmm. clearly we don't think she was meaning to die, right? And so I just start thinking about all these other people. I mean, Elvis, did the pressure like make him succumb to like his death? Um, River Phoenix, um, mm-hmm. You know, um, Jim Morrison, Aaron Carter. I forgot about him. And I'd like to do like an episode on Aaron Carter, actually. Now there's a lot more coming out about that. Mm-hmm. But I but I named those. Um, I know I, I kind of dropped the River Phoenix in there. Um, but I named specifically for uh, four people because I, I just think, is it drugs? Is it foul play? And now in, with Anissa Jones, like we don't know what was going on with her mom per se. I mm-hmm. wasn't even going to go that route because to me, it's like I really wanted to focus on the actual person and just know that there was some back issues of of the family. But it, it's it's wild. And and people made accounts of the night that she died and they said like they, that she was weird or that things were like she was being weird. Like weird how? There was an interviewer, like a, a friend who parties with her or whatever talked about her death and was saying like it was the the, the circumstance was weird because she wasn't being like social. Huh. Um, and I and they were like saying, you know how you're at a party and you've got some rooms and they're occupied by others and they might be doing something questionable and then you're in a and then there's like other rooms and they've got more people in them. Maybe they're sure. just drinking. It sounds like she was in like maybe a bedroom or somewhere by herself or not by herself, but with just a few people, maybe not like a lot. And she's doing like cocaine and um, PCP, which I think is angel dust and, mm. and that there is like people around and they're partying and whatnot. And it sounds like 
this friend who made this account, like, again, we knew she was partying and we knew that she ended up at Helen Hennessy's house. So it sounds like she maybe party hopped or went to a couple different places because I think the account is that she was partying. Then, then she was going to go to visit this friend, but it sounded like also the friend's house, maybe they were partying too. Okay. And, and even her own friends were saying like, there's no way she would destroy herself with drugs in this way. She was like really smart. Um, yes, she had like, you know, she was kind of going down this, this path, but at the same time, you know, she didn't seem depressed. Mm -hmm. She seemed like she's experimenting. Was her brother with her at the party? So that I don't know. However, do you want some more tragedy? Because I do. That sounded too exciting. I do. Her brother, her brother died eight years ago of an accidental overdose. Oh, so how old was he if that was just eight years ago? Not, not eight years ago, eight years after her. Oh, eight years after her. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. So he was what, like 24 or something? Yeah. Like, yeah. Pretty much. Oh my like god. Like early twenties, early to maybe mid, but and it's it's just tragic because now you've got the father has passed, both kids have are mm. are no longer alive. You don't have any answers from Dr. Moshos. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have some, but not a lot, right? For me, it's like, okay, was he selling like illegal like prescriptions? Like what else was in there? Yeah, was he like Dr. Feel Good? Right. Exactly. Exactly. I need to know more about the boyfriend. Like, where did he go? Where was he? He sounded pretty sketch. He just sounded, I don't know. He, to me, he sounded like a little bleh. What was his name? I'm looking him up right now. Um, Alan Coven. Now, there was an account and it's, it's uh, like a recollection that came from an anonymous posting. Take it with a grain of salt. It's interesting. They're talking about the juveniles that were um, like investigated probably that, you know, called in, remember the one, the ones that like dressed her. Right. Um, they claimed that she, they didn't know she was dead until sometime um, around 11 to 1130. Huh. What time did they call? I don't have that. Now here's where I really wanted to kind of go play by play and do direct quotes. Alan Coven took her keys and left at 930 AM. This says, and they said wee hours. So when I was thinking wee hours, I was actually thinking like still partying. Like people still party at like 4.30 yeah, a.m., right? sure. So wee hours to me was not 9.30 a.m. And then the for the person who said that they found her, the name was Carla Machado. And she testified that um, she found her, her, her dead after showering just before 11.30, which I already talked about. But the, okay. oh, but the phone call, sorry, the phone call was placed at 12.29. Mm. And of course, like the panic and like, you know, um, these people were partying, they covered her up, which could be for any reason, right? I get that. That's respectful in ways. But again, don't touch a dead body. Yeah, don't fuck with that. It's like all good intentions, but it's, you're just, you're really screwing up the scene. You know, the paramedics came, they were on the scene by 1234. They found her face up covered by a blanket and a sheet in the bed wearing boxer shorts. Whose boxer shorts? Exactly. Where was that friend's dad? Well, his last name would have been Hennessy. Helen Hennessy. See, this is why but it's so- where was he? Right? Was he home? Like, he would have been invested. He would have been thrown in jail, I'm sure, if he had- Right. Right. But but it's the 70s, Kate. That's the thing. It's the 70s. Things are very different then. True. They did, obviously, they tried to resuscitate her. They, like, had the defibrillator- it was useless because she was already dead and had probably been dead for hours. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I wanted to definitely like put out there again, this is an account of somebody. It's a, a recollection. It's on real reviews. It said note that Coven testified. He went to breakfast twice, once at nine 30 and again at 11. Who goes to breakfast twice? The, this says unusual for someone who had main, uh, mainline cocaine in the early hours of the morning, right? Because we know that they've done drugs. First of all, when you do cocaine, um, well, I think when you do cocaine, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really privy to the situation, but um, you don't really have an appetite. I don't think you're like eating okay. breakfast twice. And who goes to breakfast twice, period? 
Yeah, that's weird. Unless you've just like run a marathon or something. I don't know. It just it was very weird. And that's the one thing that I wanted to, you kept asking about him and asking about him. And that's the one thing I kind of wanted to end on is that when it comes to circumstances like this, where it's like an overdose situation, I always wonder if there's a little more to it. There's some that obviously are very straight to the point, right? That that it's it was either accidental or it was sure. like an overdose, you know. Then there's other um, accounts of people that are are there's something shifty about it, or like it feels kind of foul playish, or there's not all the answers that line up. Do you agree? Like, do you think there's something that we don't know? I mean, something definitely feels weird. I need to know where the dad is that owns this house, and I need to know what the boyfriend was doing. This is my wondering. Was she dead when the boyfriend came and checked on her in the wee hours? Was she already dead and he just kind of left her? So um, that's the death of Anissa Jones. Oof, so young. Who got all her money? Or, or did she blow it all before, like in that four-month time? No, she didn't. There was some left. There was some left. and um, Did it go to her brother? I want to say maybe it went to her brother. I mean, a lot of the money she spent, but she still had some money in like her I don't know if that's called an estate at that point, but she still had some money left okay. in there. So sad to have somebody so young die in a way that feels like it's just, it could have been prevented, I think, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, I any, yeah, those kind of deaths can certainly be prevented. We want to know what you guys think happened. Do you think there were people there that knew more than they were letting on? Do you think it truly was an accidental overdose? Do you think that doctors should have been guilty of murder? Um, let us know in the comments. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. At Horwood Podcast. Or you can email us at horrorwoodpodcast at gmail.com. We would love for you to just to I almost said prescribe. Oh Lord. Uh-oh. I don't need any prescriptions right now. We would love for you to subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash horrorwoodpodcast. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks for the episode, Kale, and welcome back.